So good to have you here. Who's excited to be in church? One more time. Who's excited to be in church? Well, um, I want to brag on our Sunday night, the gathering. And uh, what a great service. Um, it was amazing. Really, they did a great uh, job. Uh, once again, Rachel, Maddie, and the whole, there was a whole team behind it. And the atmosphere was electric, and us young, there was quite a few young adults, but there was some um, families right throughout the place. Let me just say from the outset, our gathering once a month is not just a young adult service. It's for everyone. And uh, we had some great young families, and we're going to look at putting a whole um, parents' room through there on Sunday night so you can bring your kids along. Sound good? But it was brilliant. Everyone say brilliant. And uh, full of life. There's something about worshipping on a Sunday night. I love Sunday mornings, but Sunday night, I don't know what it is. Maybe everyone's awake, right? Is that what it is? You've had your coffee, Will and truly had your coffee, um, but it is brilliant. I'm going to share around the word this morning. I'm going to pray first. How many people know I need God's help? Can't do anything without God. God, we thank you for all you do. We thank you for the marvelousness of your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you, God, that it uh, allows us to build our lives on a platform that is solid and heaven-proven. And we thank you, God, for your word today, and I pray that we would receive it, God, as we've read, as it's declared, and we would receive the promise that it never, ever returns void. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, well, I think we still have a screen to put up, but I'm, I'm talking on loving ourselves. Turn to the person and just say, I love myself, the person next to you. It kind of felt weird, right? Did that feel weird? Did it feel like it uh, didn't quite roll off the tongue right in church? Lovers of self. But the reality is, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Well, let's start with verse 29. Jesus said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second that is like it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Loving ourselves, the Bible actually doesn't, make it a commandment. We, we learned that last week. It's not a commandment to love yourself, so it doesn't have that much importance in your life. There's only the two commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But it does infer that we need to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So there's some truth to how we love ourselves then. The Bible is assuming that we love ourselves. 
But the reality is, for a lot of us, we need to define what that means because there is a huge balance. And last week I talked about we live in a world and we know that the Word of God says that in the last days they will be lovers of themselves. So how do we navigate this road of, of having the right image and the right love of self without making it something that's polluted, something that the world is wanting to do right now? And all of us in this room, you know, look, by and large, people are becoming more selfish, more lovers of themselves. Don't you think? I think, uh, I mean, we are a generous nation. I'm not going to deny that. We are a generous nation. But I think the pervading thought is that people have got to a place where what they need and what they want is more important than anyone else's. And we've got a world out there that actually helps to propagate that feeling and that understanding. There are ads on TV. We, we, uh, we have things like social media, which are really directed around self. Who takes selfies? I do get actually shocked at just how much people take selfies. I can sit in any given cafe... And honestly, I reckon at least a third of the people in there at some stage will take a selfie of themselves or the food, they're eating the food or the Just that whole idea, um, it's there. Because I think that's just the world we live in. We want to capture it all. So last week we talked about how we start to distinguish between the two of them and... Uh, and I want to jump into part two. So if you didn't, uh, haven't caught up, we're just figuring out all our podcasting at the moment. We're updating everything at the moment. So you'll be able to jump in very soon. We read Psalm 139, which leaves no doubt that God loves us. So there is, no, there is not a mistake for you to love yourself because God created you fearfully and wonderfully and magnificently. So we have to have a good self-image of ourselves. And if you don't have that, there is obviously some room for you to grow. But what I want to do, I want to talk today about the true balance. How do we balance this love for ourselves with not becoming or making ourselves the focus of our lives? Come on. Because out there in the world, the world is trying to push you into a place where you become the focus of of your world, where you become the God. And there's, there's even whole societies who talk about the God in you, and you are the God, and connect with the God in you. And, and we know for us as believers, that is not the road. So the word that we're going to talk about, the way that I believe that we bring this balance into our lives in this world, is we've got to talk about humility. Amen? Humility, God's way. Humility is, is such a beautiful character. It's a powerful character. It's something that when you see true humility in someone, when I've met someone who I think when I meet them, by my standards, they should be honestly self... Oh, what's the word? They would be someone that you would normally meet that you think are going to be quite arrogant because they have a lot, they've done a lot, they've done incredible things. But when you meet them and you talk with them, 
there's just this humility that comes off them that just pervades. And you just suddenly, and, and I, I think it's incredibly endearing when you meet someone like that. Who's met someone like that before? Well, you just, you know, maybe it's a man of God or a woman of God. I've had the privilege of meeting some people that I thought were just like heroes in the faith. And you just kind of expect them to be, you know what I mean? But when you speak with them, you just feel a sense of beautiful humility. It's attractive. I think humility in someone is incredibly attractive. Because it doesn't matter how big your life gets, you can still carry humility. Amen? So how do we balance this? True humility is, is one of the ways. So we, we are made in the image and the likeness of God. We know that. We didn't create ourselves. Humility understands that. I think out there in the world, if you, you come across an arrogant star or someone that, that's a celebrity, and if they don't have an understanding that they were created by God, it's very easy for them to fall into the trap to think that they are all because of them. True? And there's some people like that. There's apparently some, there's some great stars, celebrities out there who aren't like that, but there are some, and you hear some stories of really bad behavior. We are the work of God's hands. And when we tear ourselves down, we aren't being humble, we're being stupid. Amen? When we tear ourselves down, when we attack ourselves, there's nothing humble, there's no humility in that. It's something that we're doing that is wrong. It is not the way we were created. And it's actually a lie that the enemy uses to stop you from walking in all the fullness of the identity that God has for you. Amen? I know in my earlier years, I dealt with a lot of insecurity. I don't know why. I think a lot of people grow up with that in a stage of life that we're in. Um, and I remember the very first time I actually ever spoke, uh, I had a leader who, and I was so, I guess, insecure. And I remember I was on a, getting on a stage like this, I think it was back in my Hillsong days, and just before I got on, and I was racked with this lack of insecurity. And just before I got on this past that you guys all know, he looked at me and he said, be confident. You're supposed to be there. And I don't know. It just changed things. Because he obviously saw the fear in me. I was like, the first time you've ever done something like that. But you know what? I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that that actually there was an anointing on my life and there was a reason for me that I was doing it. It wasn't just my own making, but God was behind it. Amen? And instantly that changed things. But this, there's a lie out there that wants to, to strip you down until, and, and break apart your identity and, and actually go against the way God has made you fearfully and wonderfully made you. He has made you unique and incredible. And the enemy would like you to believe the lie, the opposite to that. The truth is that it is neither pride to recognize our strengths nor humility to deny them. You actually have a right to say that I'm good at this and I'm good at that. You actually have a right. If you can't say that, if you can't identify your own strength in your life, if all you can identify is your weaknesses, then you're actually not. It's not humility to identify your strengths. Amen? 
But a lot of people don't. They don't think that they are that. They don't recognize who they are. But it's not humility to, to deny that you have any abilities if it's just actually against God. It's a kind of false humility that keeps Christians in, in darkness and results in us never stepping into our destiny. One of the greatest things about your destiny is believing that you are called by God to do something. And if you don't believe that you first are called by God to do it, if you just think, if you don't believe in who you are, that you won't step into what you've got. And many destinies are held back by lack of confidence. Come on. We think it's a whole bunch of things. And then there's sometimes in people's thought, is this, I can't think that way. But the reality is true humility doesn't mean that you have to think lowly of yourself. Romans 3.23 says that we we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that actually means? It means that the target was the glory of God. And we've all fallen short of it. Are you with me? Your life is supposed to glorify God. People actually are supposed to see you and see the glory of God by how you live, by your life, by, by the, your abilities, by your talent, by who you are. People are supposed to see you and go, oh my goodness, God's good. Look at them. Look what they're doing. God's incredible. Are you with me? We've all sinned and fallen short of it. Which means God's aim wasn't that we would be lowly over here. It's God's aim was that for our lives before sin that we would glorify Him. We would magnify His name. Everyone would look at us and go, what an incredible creator God is. Look what they're doing. Look at the abilities. Look at the talents. Look at, look, look at the achievements. Amen. You're not arrogant. You're actually glorifying God. Even though we missed the glory, we need to be recognized that we were made for glory. God didn't just die so that he could save us from our sin. He died that he could restore us to the way that we were created, which was to glorify God. Come on. God didn't just die for you so that you would just just get your sin wiped away and you'd be some bug for the rest of your life, some lowly, insignificant bug that's just, oh, thank you. You know what I mean? That's sometimes people's idea of humility is that that's what we're like. Oh, thank you, God, you know. I feel like I'm going to do a smeagol. <laughs> we were created to share God's glory, bring Him glory with our lives. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 to 30 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the, to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. He predestined us to be glorified with him, to be a, a, to be a, a mirror of the glory of God. Amen? Are our lives that? 
Do we have that expectation? Do we have that in our business world? Do we have that in our lives? Do we have it in our family? Do we have that in our finances? Do we have that across our life? Is that the target we're going for? Are we believing that our lives will glorify God? Or is it tucked in some corner, in the dark somewhere, just living, thinking a false sense of humility is what God wants us to have? See, the vision is that Jesus is a king over a great army. He's our king, right? He's our captain. He wants to turn around and see a, a, a sea of warriors, a warrior princesses all lined up in armor, a glorious marching army, the church looking spectacular instead of all these people like in the dark. And Jesus goes, this is my army. And everyone goes, really? Are you with me? What, 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 what's, what's that? I mean, how does that make... That's not who Jesus is. He's, he's powerful. He's, he's, he's laid down his life. He's, he's created us to be conquerors. Amen? And if we have a false sense of humility, it doesn't work. I want you to go with me to the book of Daniel. We're going to share a story here about a, a, a king called Nebuchadnezzar. I'm saying Nebuchadnezzar. He's got a child that they would like to call Nebuchadnezzar. Be called in Australia would be Nebi. Nebi for short. Daniel chapter four. But Nebuchadnezzar, let me just he was the king of Babylon. We know him as a character. You know, remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Shadrach, Meshach, and into the bed we go. That's the one. They, uh, they are part of this, and we find Daniel is a part of this. In this, uh, this King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon. Babylon actually uh, enslaved Israel for a period. They, they actually took over um, Solomon's temple. They were formidable. And, uh, and we find this story. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he was actually a king that allowed the captives, the Israelites, and Daniel was a part of this, to exist in his kingdom. And he, uh, he grabbed Daniel and a few others, and he actually made them people of prominence. He gave them a, a place. And we find in this chapter 4, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's problem was he, was he just thought he was it in a bit. To put it mildly in our, in our phrase, he was full of himself, and it was probably pretty easy to do because anyone who was against him was killed. He was the king, and kings of those days, they were like gods, and he considered himself to be like a god. And so he ruled, and he was powerful. So he has, we find in, um, in General chapter 4, verse 4, we find that he has a dream. Now, God is going to deal with him. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and it says, Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. This is him talking. I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of this dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me, 
His name is Belteshazzar. According to the, to the name of my God in him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told him the dream before him saying, and he goes on and tells the dream. I'm not going to go through it. The dream was, um, actually, the interpretation of the dream simply was that the king was going to be judged for his arrogance. He thought he was higher than God. And that he would have a, a judgment on his life for seven years. And the dream was about a, a, an angel coming and cutting down a huge tree and leaving only a stump. And so Daniel comes in, we pick up the story, and Daniel actually interprets that dream. And now we fast forward, and it actually happens. The king is one day is up out on his balcony, and he instantly goes mad. And the dream said that this person would be like living in the field as a beast. So he had this king of this huge empire, and the next minute he's out living in the field, and he's, he's like a, a crazy person. He's more than crazy, crazy. He's like running around at night feeding on little rats and things and he's got um, straggly hair and no one can go anywhere near him. So you've got the highest to the lowest and he's just this insane person. So Daniel... interprets this dream. And then the king, after this seven years, as this dream, this prophecy dream, interprets, he finds himself back in his right of mind. Instantly, after the seven years, he comes back into his right of mind. He, he becomes sane again, instantly. There's a, that was how God worked. And we pick up the story where in Daniel chapter 4, verse 36, it says, At the same time, this is the king Nebuchadnezzar talking, At the same time, my reasoning returned to me. And I want you to hear this. And for the glory of my kingdom, this is king Nebuchadnezzar, this is after the seven years, this is after he's been, been insane, this is when he's come back to his right mind. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. Uh, restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now you read that. The guy's just spent seven years for being self-inflated. God takes that curse off him, comes back to his right mind, and yet he states this. Well, you, you might... This is a minute, let me read it again, verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. This is the king speaking. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. So you're thinking, whoa, did he learn anything? Seven years crawling around as a beast. Did he learn anything? And then verse 37, this is quite out there. He says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the King of heaven, all of whom's works are true and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. 
The reality is God actually didn't attack Nebuchadnezzar because he praised how good he was. He actually attacked him because he said it was all him who did it. The difference is when Nebuchadnezzar comes back after seven years after being insane, he still goes, look at all this I've done. But he goes, it's all because of God. Amen? God is higher. He's the one that's given me it all. Are you with me? The reality in this is he didn't stop. He didn't. And, and the, the, the thing we've got to learn out of this is that God doesn't want us to own what we, what we do, but he wants us to make sure that we give glory to him. Come on. He's not afraid of you saying, hey, this is amazing. This is incredible. This thing's happened in my life. This thing's going well. This thing's going. He just, but the old Nebuchadnezzar said it was all about him. He was a God. He, didn't, he left God out of the equation. Now he talks about it, but he allows the fact, he gives honor to God that God is the ultimate authority of it all. You see, that's the sort of attitude. If you want to step forward into all that God's got for you, you actually have to have confidence and you've got to speak well about what you do. Come on. If you think that, the, that being godly is just being a worm and not saying anything and not being proud of what we do, and I, I'm proud of the guys that play up here and, and share worship. I can give accolades to them and, and hopefully they take that on board. But hopefully they all understand that every gift they've got is just a steward because God's given it to them. Amen? God needs the church to rise up, and the church is not going to rise up. You, the church, are not going to rise up. You're not going to stand tall in your workplace. You're not going to stand tall in your, in your studies or in your school and ministry and all the things you do if you walk around with this image that you are nothing. God gave Nebuchadnezzar back everything because he learned the lesson that heaven rules. Amen? It shows us that learning humility doesn't mean that we have to think of ourselves negatively. Maybe we could turn. Anyone else cold? Raise your hand. At least turn one off. Blowing a gale up here. See, if you're thinking of yourself negatively, if you're thinking of yourself negatively, there is nothing godly about that. Come on. We don't glorify God by saying we're not great. We glorify Him by acknowledging that He is the source of that greatness. God actually doesn't have a problem. God actually doesn't get upset if you say, hey, wow, I'm, this is just amazing. What God is doing through me is amazing. Come on. If you just go, I'm incredible, I'm fantastic, oh, I did it my way, I'm awesome. You know what I mean? There's a difference there. God doesn't have a problem with that. Humility is not demeaning ourselves by, but exalting God. Demeaning yourself is actually an insult, an insult to how God has created you. 
If you think yourself just not worth it, not this, not that, you're actually insulting God because he created you. Come on. If your thought process is like, you know, I'm hopeless, I look at everyone else, I'm just, I'm just, oh man, I can't do anything, I can't do anything. Those are wrong thoughts. You're actually stepping away from the way that God created you. By telling us that humility means convincing ourselves that we are nobodies, it's not right. This belief system it hasn't cured pride. All it does is work to destroy confidence in God's people. If you're demeaning yourself, it's just working. It's destroying confidence in the people of God. True, true humility is not the absence of confidence, but it's strength restrained. You know what I mean? I... I have this picture. I do it a little bit now. He's getting a little bit bigger, but I like a wrestle with my boy. Every, every guy's got a little boy. He's 12. It's getting a little bit harder, but he's got a weakness. I can just tickle him and he just crumbles. Tickle him around here and he just disappears. He cannot handle it. But you know what? Sometimes I'm playing and fighting with him when we do boxing and what have you, and, and uh, I'm bigger than him. I know that I can beat him, but sometimes I just restrain myself a lot. True? Because I understand that humility is like that. It's like you know, but you, you restrain, you, you pull yourself back. You know there's strength there, but you, there's so much that humility does. When we look at the life of Christ Look at his humility. Philippians 2 verse 4. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, whom being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Oh, what? He didn't consider it to be equal. He's equal with God, okay? Did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, and coming the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He knew who he was, but he restrained his power when he walked on this earth. If you think that Jesus wandered around thinking that he didn't know what he was on about, and he didn't know that he was the Son of God, and he didn't know that he was the Savior, and he didn't know that he had all this majesty and power, he knew it all. He knew that he could snap his fingers. Legions of angels would get behind him and just take out anyone that was opposing him. He had that authority. Are you here? He knew he had it. And see, we've got to live our lives knowing that we have an authority. We have, we're created like God within the image and likeness of God. We have this power. It doesn't mean that Jesus was arrogant because he had all that knowledge. Come on. He knew that he was part of the Trinity, but yet he was never considered arrogant. Knowing that you are something doesn't mean you have to act that way. Are you with me? There's the difference there. True humility can only come when we have an honest assessment of ourselves before God. If you know you deserve the highest seat in the house, but you take the lowest, you know that. That's humility. You know, I've found in my life that the most demanding people that I've found in my life can be the most insecure. 
See, a lot of, uh, of people have got a pervading thought of arrogance around their lives. Quite often it comes from a very, very low self-image. Because if you know you've got all this power, then, and you can restrain, you, 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 you know, like Jesus, you, you act with humility. Amen? But if you're on the inside, you don't believe that you're worth anything, then you can actually be very, very harsh and judgmental on all those around you. True? Because it's coming out of an insecurity in yourself and you're, you're attacking everyone. Humility is an issue of the heart. We can't be humble by accident. We must be on purpose. Our heart, um, we have to understand and we have to allow God to work in our hearts. If we look at Moses, I love this. Moses says in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Now the man, he said, this is written in the book of Numbers, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Do you want to know who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. So this is Moses writing about himself. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. What? <laughs> Imagine the scribe writing it down. You sure you want to say that, Moses? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> but do you know what? It actually takes that to do something for God. Come on. What I'm trying to do is, this is where confidence comes from. You've got to know that you, there's a strength in you from God, that God has a gift on your life. Moses knew that. He had an inspired, honest assessment of himself before God. We can still be people of humility and still be confident in who we are. And sometimes, un unfortunately, um, confidence can look like arrogance. And insecurity. The real issue sometimes is that for us as believers, we've over-spiritualized our self-esteem, our wrong, our poor self-esteem, and it's wrong. I mean, God's given this church a calling. God's given you a calling. And you've got to believe in that calling. You need to actually have a sense of greatness on your life. And if you struggle with that, there has got to be a reason. You've got to point to the fact that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. And get yourself back and say, why aren't I thinking this way about myself? Don't accept. If you feel like you just don't fit in and you don't measure up and you're all, then you need to fight against that. You need to realize there is nothing godly about that. Amen. True humility is beautiful. You can have all the power like Jesus, but you can act with beautiful humility with every human being that you meet. Our pauper mentality is a false humility. And to be honest, sometimes it's rendered the church ineffectual. Oh, we're just the church. We're just the church. You know, we're... Whew. No. And you know what? I've seen leaders in our life who have actually had a, a true confidence in God and it's seen the church go forward. Amen? The Bible is filled with describing men and women of God who took this position of influence that was offered to them and they recognized that they were strategically placed there by God and they understood the greatness that was on their lives because of God. Amen? They understood it. 
They got their heads into it. David got his head into the position of power that he had, and he ran with it. False humility takes our confidence. Every time like someone like David or Joseph got confident, the brothers came and attacked. Amen? David, he got put as king, and he was sort of owning that, and the brothers are like, what? You're nothing. And then Joseph has a big dream, a prophecy of his life. What did his brothers do? What? You're nothing. It happens. It'll happen with your life. Because the enemy can't stand what's inside of you. There's another statement that all us Christians, we're just uh, carrying our cross. This is the cross that I have to bear. You know, the reality is, Jesus only carried the cross for one day. He carried the cross so that we could carry the crown. Come on. It's not where the story ends. Man, you do have, there will be times of sacrifice, but the times of sacrifice, Jesus carried the cross all the way so that we could carry the crown. We could walk in the righteousness and the robes that righteousness could be placed on our lives and we could live victorious. Amen? You're not supposed to walk around like this. Oh, I'm just, I'm in humility. I'm a Christian. I'm carrying my cross. And Jesus is like, well, I only did it for a short moment of my life. The rest, I'm, he's now seated in, in the heavenlies. Amen? It's not the end of the story. I'm not trying to promote pride. I simply want to define what true humility is. Can I say something? When you feel bad about yourself, if you've got a low self-esteem, forgive me for a moment, you're actually operating in pride because you're making yourself the center of attention. Come on. You don't have to be arrogant to be full of pride. You can actually be someone incredibly insecure and you think about yourself. You meet an insecure person and their whole world is about them. And they react out of hurt. If someone says something to them, it's like, they attack. They think hurt. They, they, they constantly, why? Because humility is not that we think about ourselves. Humility is that we, pre, uh, we don't preoccupy ourselves with ourselves. Amen. If you're preoccupied, an insecure person, 90% of the time are preoccupied. They're thinking everything. Is it, their mind's thinking about themselves constantly. Well, there's this person. They're judging people. They're comparing people with themselves. Their mind is just locked in this self-thought all the time. That's what an insecure person does. They've brought their image of themselves so high to a point that it overrides everything else. They stop thinking about how God sees them. Amen? An arrogant person, sure, they're easy to see. They're all about themselves. They burst into a room. Hey, it's all about me. But an insecure person, it's all behind the scenes. But they're sitting in there in a conversation, judging, comparing, and all feeling their hurt and feeling their pain and are reliving it. And it's all about themselves, what they went through, what this person's doing, and how the now, now this person doesn't understand who I really am. And as I'm talking to you, as you're talking to an insecure person, their mind is just thinking, well, you don't understand. What a horrible thing to say. What a da, da, da. All this stuff going on in their heads. It's preoccupation with self. Amen? 
It always comes down to that. Humility, true humility. The insecure person needs to learn humility, true humility, as much as the arrogant does. It's just a different way of doing it. When we think, feel, think and feel badly of ourselves, we have made ourselves the center of attention. Listen to this. Humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Come on. True humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Did you get that? God doesn't want you to think less of yourself. He wants you to think of yourself less. You can have self-esteem problems and be thinking of yourself all the time, all the time. You can be arrogant and thinking of yourself all the time. Or you can be someone who has true humility and you actually don't think of yourself. You think, oh, you know what, I am. God has created me to be someone beautiful and powerful and do something great in this world. Finally, the band come up. So what does true humility look like? Listen to this. True humility is born out of an awareness of God's greatness, grows in a heart full of gratitude and matures in the awe of his passionate love for us. True humility is born out of an awareness of God's greatness and grows in a heart full of gratitude. You see someone who's just constantly thanking God for their lives. You'll see true godly humility. Amen? Like if, say, someone comes up and goes, oh, man, it's a, that's an incredible car or you've got incredible, you know, this is an incredible house or what have you, and they go, oh, phew, God is just so good. God's been so good to me. Honestly, I get amazed at his goodness. You know what I mean? You don't walk away from that person thinking arrogant. You think, wow, straight away the glory has gone to God. Amen? Come on. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want that. God wants us to acknowledge Him in all that we are. True humility understands how powerful prayer is. You know, if you want to get humility, then pray. Prayer is the ultimate act of humility, thanking God, involving God, and considering God in all that you do. And then it's not all about you. You're just like, God, what can I do? And God, God, I need you. And God, you're amazing. And God, you're wonderful. Prayer is, is, is us bowing our lives to the authority of God. If you don't pray at all, then maybe your life is a bit about self. Come on. Because we, if we understand true humility that God owns it all, He stewards it all, then we're going to run to Him in prayer. We're going to run to Him and talk to Him about our lives. We're going to thank Him. We're going to inquire of Him. We're going to involve Him. We're going to go, hey, God, it's not all going well. I don't understand. I'm doing it all for you. What do I need to do, God? What do I need to change? What direction do I need to change? Because that's what prayer does. And true humility allows us to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know what? A true humility in someone recognizes that God has created other people with beautiful splendor and greatness and ability. Amen? And they're different to us. 
If you've got true humility, you can run into someone who's completely different and you might be an introvert and they might be an extrovert and it won't be like, oh, insecurity is like, oh, why aren't they like me? And true humility is like, isn't it good that God's created people like so-and-so, completely different to me, to do great things here on this earth that I could never do. Amen? That's what true humility is. It actually affects the way we deal with other people. We acknowledge people's strengths. We acknowledge their uniqueness. It flows off us. With true humility is like, yes, this person's great. Yes, this person's done a great thing. They're great at what they do. You can easily allow that to flow off your heart. I love it. I'm going to finish with this. The grace of God humbles a man without degrading him and exalts a man without inflating him. Come on. When God saved you and the grace of God flooded into your life, it's not suddenly that you are just some worthless nothing in His kingdom. In fact, your life was called to give glory to God. Amen? The grace of God came bursting into your life so that you could be a testimony, a signpost, that you could be a signpost to the glory of God. That people would look at your life and go, how? How did you restore that marriage? How did you turn things around? How did you how did you pull your life out of the mire? How did you do it? How did you? I've got no idea. I know, I know who you were, you, the, the, the chaos that was around your world, and look at you now. And in that moment, you go, honestly, because of my Savior. And I thank God for His grace every day. I thank God for what He's done with my life since I've given it to Him. And are they going to think you're arrogant? No. They're going to look at your life and go, you know what? I want some of what you've got. How do I get this? How do I get this in my life? Wow. Come and meet my Savior. Come and meet Jesus. If He can do it for me, friend, He can do it for you. Amen? I believe this. People that in this place, be honest with yourself. A lot of your thoughts thoughts about yourself preoccupy with your image comparing yourself with others dealing with hurts and words from the past do you know what you need to do in this moment you need to bow your knee and humble yourself to God And say, God, I am sorry for allowing my thoughts to take me to that place. God, I'm going to start to think the way that you've told me to think about myself. I'm going to start to read your word differently. I'm going to understand that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm degrading your creation when I think this way. Amen? I'm degrading who I am when I think these thoughts about myself. But 
God, you have created me special. And God, show me. Show me the abilities that you've put in my life. God, let my life bring glory to you. Let my life not be about myself, but God, let it be, let me be used. Let my abilities, my talents, who I am, be used for your kingdom. Amen. That's a road that's a beginning to turn things around and understand. God does not make junk. Every single person was predestined. They were given a calling and a purpose. He knows exactly who you are. And you need to connect with that and be proud of the fact that God has made you that way. Amen? Spirit of God. I've gone a little bit over, quite a bit over actually. No, we're okay. Right now I just want to I just want to pray. What are we all just down to our feet just for a moment? Just because I think it helps. Every eye closed. If you feel right now that you need you need to almost the word is repent of the way you see yourself in terms of allowing thoughts of inferiority just to invade your world I just want you to lift both your hands to heaven come on both your hands Jesus and I want us to declare in this place I want us to repeat after me I am Come on, very loud. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a child of God. I am a royal priesthood. I'm God's own special person. God, I pray that you would turn the tide in people's lives. God, I pray that voices, negative voices of self-image would begin to stop. I, God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that it would break over their lives, that they would recognize the lies that you have put into them, Father, um, that the enemy has put into them, the lies that have been sown into their image and their self-image. And God, I pray for a release in Jesus' name, that God, that they would take back their identity knowing that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They would take back their identity, knowing that they are special, that they are children of God, and that you are proud of them in the name of Jesus. We speak it over lives in this place. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Spirit of God. If you're not in this place and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, every eye continually closed. And if you are you know that you know that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, either for the first time or afresh. I'm going to pray this prayer, and I want you to repeat it after me. And we're going to pray this prayer right across this church. But if that's you, I want you to pray with sincerity from your heart. But we're going to do that together. Dear Lord Jesus, I accept you today as my Lord and Savior. I accept today that I'm a child of God. 
and I ask for forgiveness of my sins and I accept your grace and your mercy today. In Jesus' name, amen. Every eye closed. If you pray that as a rededication or for the first time, just slip up your hand. Anyone in this place. You give people opportunities. That you just raise your hand. Spirit of God. Spirit of God. Amen. Beautiful. Thanks, church.